0: Good morning church. It's good to be with you this morning. And know some of you may have been expecting Josh and were surprised when you, you got here and found out that he was down uh, on the coast. I was on the other coast with him all week and uh, kept him in line. I want you to know that. I took care of him and uh, made sure that he behaved most of the time. There was one occasion where we were on an interstate headed to Dodger Stadium and I'll just say not all four wheels of the car were on the ground. But Josh wasn't driving, and I wasn't driving, and Levi wasn't driving, and I'll I'll let you talk to him about the rest of the story. But uh, it was a great time that we had together out there, and just honored that he would ask me to be here with you guys today. First of all, I want to bring you greetings on behalf of Dr. Gary Hollinsworth and the staff of the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and tell you thank you so much for being the church that you are with the commitment to missions that you have. Uh, For several years before going to the South Carolina Baptist Convention, I was a a consultant for the Send Boston team with the North American Mission Board in, in addition to my role as a pastor. And you guys just helped lay the foundation for what's happened in Boston through the years. And now knowing that you're filling that same role with Send Los Angeles thrills my heart. And my soul, we were meeting with Will Browning, the uh, the Sin City missionary, at the Dodgers game. It wasn't all play there, uh, so we were meeting with some church planners from Los Angeles and spending a great amount of time with them. But I also want to thank you for your support of the cooperative program. So the cooperative program is how we, as Southern Baptists, do everything that we do. Our churches voluntarily give to the co- that's why It carries the word cooperative. And uh, I'm always glad to tell people that there's nothing wrong with the program. Uh, As Baptists, sometimes we struggle with that issue of cooperation. But the program is always strong, and we move forward for the kingdom of Christ together. You guys may not know this, or you may know this, but last year, Taylor's First Baptist was the number one contributing church to the cooperative program in the state of South Carolina. And so we come to you with sincere gratitude for that. That's right. And that is a place, by the way, that this church historically held for years. And uh, there were a few years where you were out of that place and you're back in it this year. And we're thankful for that. And we know that means good things are happening here. Uh, So in Anaheim, we commissioned 52 new missionary units to the nation. And that doesn't happen without your, your sacrificial support of the cooperative program. But it's not just what God's doing in the nations, and it's not even what he's doing across this nation. It's about the little stories, one life at a time, that God is changing right here in the state of South Carolina. So uh, Somersault is our state youth camp. My son is on, on staff there. I left him in Lexington this morning, and he's headed back to Charleston Southern this afternoon. Uh, but Somersault is our camp, we have a great time there, great ministry. I think there were 52 decisions at Somersault last week with around 700 students in attendance. Last year there was a young lady that was on staff at Somersault that has type 2 diabetes. She's also a student at Anderson University and earlier this spring she had a blood sugar drop and she passed out on the street of downtown Anderson. And they called EMS to come and care for her and the young EMT that arrived was a young man named Zach and he revived this former somersault staffer she was wearing a shirt that said somersault staff on it as she's laying on the the sidewalk there in downtown Anderson he revived her and as he revived her he began to share with her a story and the story went like this he grew up in an abusive dysfunctional home life situation he had just graduated high school He didn't didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. He didn't know where he wanted to go. He didn't know what the future looked like. But he had reached one important decision in life for him, and that that was this. He had made the decision that he would not live through the end of the summer. He had already determined to take his own life. A church in the community had reached out and invited him to go to somersault camp He knew some of the folks that were going, and so he went along with them. While he was there that week, he heard the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit drew him into a relationship with our Father. He trusted Christ, became a new creation, found a new purpose, found new meaning in life. And God began to do new things in his life. He returned home with this new focus, new passion, began to be discipled by a local church. And he told this young lady, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the ministry of Somersault Camp here in our state. I'm telling you that story today. Not just because somersault makes a difference in kids' lives that that college students go and and give their summers to serve and and minister there. That's important. And I tell you that not just because the South Carolina Baptist Convention plans and carries out and promotes that camp and, and, and makes sure everything goes as it should. That's important. But I tell you that today because Zach's life was changed because Taylor's First Baptist supports the cooperative program. And we can't do it alone. There's not a church in the state that can carry out that ministry on their own. But as we all work together and as we all give together, we can see God do great things for his kingdom. So I just wanted to, from the the outset this morning, thank you for your sacrificial mission support and encourage you to keep on giving and to keep on going and to keep on sending as we know this church has a heart to do. Well, Josh asked me to preach from the Psalms this morning. And I told him in the, in the early service that no pastor wants to hear that. When, when, when you get called and you ask to come and fill the, pul- the pulpit for somebody or fill in, you like to have a little more license. And he said, it's Father's Day, and I want you to preach from the Psalms. And so I said, great, you know, i got the, these confines on me as I figure out what it is that I want to share this morning. But I, I settled on probably the most popular psalm, the one that most of you are the most familiar with. That's Psalm chapter 23. And I settled on that psalm for several reasons. One reason is I found through the years that the more familiar we think we are with the passage of Scripture, the more apt we are to kind of overlook that passage, right? And say, well, I know that. I know that. There there, there might not be anything for me to learn there or glean from that. And so we'll just look past it. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't do that because I think this passage is a favorite for a reason. I think it's a favorite because... Uh, of the incredible amount and wealth of promises that God makes to us as His children, in this passage, the second reason is because it is Father's Day. It is Father's Day, and some of you look at me saying, "So, so you picked the twenty-third Psalm for Father's Day, right?" Because we we misappropriated this Psalm. We usually use it where funerals, right? Funerals. That's where I've most commonly heard heard this this Psalm before. Is for use at funerals, and yet it's not a psalm for those that have gone to be with the Lord. As a matter of fact, the last verse promises glory. It promises eternity as one of the, one of the, the blessings of knowing Jesus Christ as the shepherd of your life. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever it is one of the last promises that it makes. So it's a promise for those who are still on this side of death. This is a psalm for the living. Another thing is, the psalm is misapplied in in that the world makes this psalm universal in its application. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it it could be, you know, the, the chief of the mafia, it could be a president, or it could be Billy Graham's funeral, and they would read the same passage of scripture. They read it for everybody. And it's not for everybody, it's not universal in its application. The first verse identifies right away that it is for those who know the Lord as the shepherd of their life. The Lord is my shepherd. So everything else that follows, follows that condition in your life, that you know the Lord as the shepherd of your life. As a matter of fact, and I didn't do this in the early service, so you can tell them that I gave you guys homework and not them. I think this is a fascinating exercise to go back through this psalm and look at all of the promises during the course of this week and then go back and write it in reverse. I don't know if any of you have ever thought about that or done that, but write, the Lord is not my shepherd and the opposite of everything that's true for those that know the Lord is their shepherd. And it will absolutely break your heart for people that are lost and far from God if you'll take the opportunity to do that. So, so this psalm is, is a psalm for the living, not for the dead, And and it's a psalm for a very specific group of people, those of us that know the Lord as our shepherd. The the other part is this, on Father's Day, I think that the words of verse 1, which is where we're going to camp out and spend all of our time today, just in Psalm 23, 1, I think those words are a model for what it should look like to raise your children to love the Lord and to live according to His purpose. Mike Glenn, who's one of my favorite preachers today, is at Brentwood Baptist in Nashville, Tennessee. And and, and Mike, I was there on Father's Day a few years ago, and Mike shared this truth. He said that, that when the Bible talks about fathers not exasperating their children, he said to the best of his understanding, he had reached this conclusion that simply what that means is don't be such a jerk as a father that you make it impossible for your children to understand the analogy of God as a father. I think there's a lot of truth to that. One of of our biggest roles as as dads is to make sure that as much as, as we are capable, that we would give our children the opportunity to understand the analogy that God is a father. Not that we would reach that for ourselves, but that we would make it a good lesson for them to learn. There are plenty of people that enter a day like Father's Day with very little emotion, with very little love for that person who filled that role in their lives. And God would call us to point our children to the Heavenly Father. And so we learn that in this psalm today. And and as we look at Psalm 23, 1, I want to read the entire psalm for you uh, so that we can have that context. And then we'll just come back and focus on verse 1. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Word of God for the people of God. Hear it, believe it, and live. Father, would you be with us today as we break open the, the bread of life? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to fill this place today and interpret its words into our hearts in such a way that we are more like Jesus Christ than we, when we leave this place than we were when we came in today? Would you enable us to learn more about who you are so that we could understand better who we are to be? Father, would you make certain in every heart and life gathered in this room today that we know the good shepherd before we leave this place. For we ask these and all other blessings in his name and for his glory, the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So verse verse 1 that we're going to look at today, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And and this is how I I propose to take this apart and us deal with it today. We're going to deal with the verse in two parts. The first part is, the Lord is my shepherd, and then we'll come back to the second part in our conclusion today. As we deal with the first part, though, I want to ask you if you'd allow me to do this, entertain me to do this. I'm going to start from the end and work back towards the beginning to help us get a good understanding of this. So the Lord is my shepherd, and we're going to start right there with the word shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, David says, and I want you to see this first of all, that the one making this comment is first and foremost a shepherd. That's how he spent the formative years of his life. Before there was any inkling of the idea that he could be king or even a warrior, long before his dad sent him to take his brother's lunch and he defeated Goliath in battle, long before Samuel came and anointed him, David was a shepherd boy. It's what he knew, it's how he had spent his life, with the foals in the fields taking care of them and watching over them, fighting off the the, the dangers that were inherent in the life of a shepherd and in the shepherding of sheep. This is what David knew. He literally lived it, breathed it, ate it, and drank it. He was a shepherd. And so what I want us to see this morning is David begins this psalm today by telling us that our God is a God who relates to us. David, a shepherd, writes of God, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He he is for me what I have been in life. Do you you remember back the the Nike commercials? I'll show a little bit of my age here that featured Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson was a two-sport athlete from Auburn University, won the Heisman Trophy. As a running back, he played professional football and baseball, and they said he was just great at everything, and Nike picked Bo up, and he made these commercials, and it would be Bo Jackson with a tennis racket and it'd say Bo knows tennis. And it'd be Bo Jackson with a driver and it'd say Bo knows golf and you know, Bo knows boxing and Bo knows hurdles and Bo knows ping pong and literally every sport you had, it was Bo knows this. I want you to see in the heart of this psalm, in the heart of David's words this morning, that's the claim that he's making about God. He knows. Our God is a God who knows and he identifies with us. He understands us. It doesn't matter where you are in life or what you're going through, what you're dealing with, what you do for a living. We have all had times somewhere along the way in the journey of our lives where we said, nobody understands me. There's nobody who truly knows what it's like to be me. Nobody that knows what it's like to have to deal with the things that I'm having to deal with right now. Nobody that understands having to do the things that I'm having to do right now. The stress, the anxiety, the worry, the problem, the headache, all of those things. And yet David says that God identifies with us. As a shepherd, he looks at his God and he says, God gets me. He understands me. So many times it's easy for us to push other people away and isolate ourselves in life because we feel the opposite like that. But I would encourage you today, instead of saying that nobody understands, to learn to say this, no, nobody understands like Jesus. Nobody understands like Jesus because I would assure you this morning that he knows you full well. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, "...for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Instead, we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin." You see, God not only understands who you are and where you are, he understands how you are. He understands that we battle desires and temptations, that we struggle with fear and anxiety, that there are times in our lives that we feel like giving up and giving in. In fact, David says he knows us perfectly. He knows us perfectly. And yet he still loves us. Just like a shepherd knows his sheep, God knows every one of us. He knows us by our name. Scripture says he knows us by a name that we don't even know <laughs> is our name. He knows our faults, our sins. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we're strong. And he loves us uniquely. That's why David goes on. And the next word that we find in this psalm is the word my. He says the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Not a shepherd, not the shepherd, my shepherd. That's the descriptor that David uses because he says this relationship that the shepherd longs to have with his sheep is not impersonal, instead it's personal. That's why we have that personal pronoun. The Lord is mine and I am his. He he knows me uniquely. Psalm chapter 139 tells us that God knows us. David writes, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. He continues in that psalm and he says, God is with us in every situation that we face. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. David says that the Lord has always known us even before we were knowable to anyone else, be that our mother or our father. He says, for you created my inmost being." you knit me together in my mother's womb and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, your works are wonderful, I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be, and then he says the Lord knows us inside and out, as David writes these words, search me O God and know know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says our shepherd isn't some impersonal shepherd. Our God isn't some God who's on high and unattainable, but the God who is our shepherd, who identifies with us is a God who longs to be in an intimate, personal relationship with us. So when he says the Lord is my shepherd, that word my carries an important amount of meaning in this passage. It's not just filler. David says he's mine. He's mine. I can know him and I belong to him. And I would tell you this morning, church, that you can know him in that same fashion that David knew him. The Lord longs to be your shepherd, But as we continue to work backwards in that passage, he says is, is, and again that's not an incidental word, it's on purpose. I'll show my age a little bit for for a Greenville County crowd today. I grew up listening to Oliver B. Green on the radio, I did, And, and Dr. Green used to say this, that every jot and tittle of the word is there on purpose. He said there's not a punctuation mark that's accidental in God's word. And so the word is is important. It means that God is a present God. This is not about what God's done in the past or what God's going to do at some point in the future. No, David says the Lord is my shepherd right now. Right now. I think that's important to us. I don't know about you, but things are, things are kind of strange. Have you noticed? They, they are. I mean, they're strange. I don't I don't know that I've ever seen days like this before in my life I I had some of the strangest uh strangest occurrences I've ever had on Thursday coming back from the west coast and I, I mean just strange we were at the Charlotte airport at eleven thirty 30 at night in an airplane driving around the airport like somebody looking for a parking place at Walmart it was an hour and a half before we got off the plane because we couldn't find the gate. All the other flights had been canceled. They sent all those pilots home. There was nobody to move one out of our way. So we could, So I think they had one gate everybody was getting on and off of. And then when we got off at midnight, there were over 1,000 people in the baggage claim. I've never seen anything like it. And when we went to leave, you couldn't get out the doors of the airport. They were jammed with people trying to go somewhere. And I said, this is just another one of those strange things. I thought it was pretty strange the other day when somebody told me, they said, hey, if you'll drive about a mile across town, you can get gas for $4.33 a gallon, and that's pretty good. And I thought, what's good about that, you know? I remember when I was a kid and we were at the beach in North Carolina and my daddy drove all the way to Myrtle Beach because gas there was $0.20 instead of $0.28 like it was where we were. I thought, oh my, and, and you guys remember that? Every car got like three miles to the gallon back then. I mean, that's what they got. And I'm like, well, wow, these are unprecedented days that we're living in. They were unprecedented days this past week at the Southern Baptist Convention, unlike anyone that I'd ever been to before. It's just strange. And sometimes, in the midst of the strangeness, fear can slip into our hearts. Sometimes, in the midst of the unusual days that we're living in, we can forget that God is still not just on the throne, but He's still ever present in our lives. And so the psalmist says, He is my shepherd. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but sometimes a Christian will share their testimony, and I love to hear people's stories. I just call it a story. I love to hear your story, and somebody asked me one time, what is a story? I don't know, and I said, well, it's who you were before Christ, how you came to know Christ, and how your life is different today because you've come to know Christ, but it's so many people sharing of their stories. We miss that last element, You know what I'm talking about? They'll share their testimony. They'll say, well, 30 years ago, I used to be this terrible, terrible person, and then I met Jesus, and that's it. One of of my favorite sermons that my daddy preached, I'm a third-generation Baptist preacher just like your pastor is. My granddad was in this area most of his life, Grady Bridwell. That's on my mom's side. And then my dad was Horace Sims, and Josh told me a lot of you guys still read Whistling at Snakes and and, and mentioned that occasionally. He was a a columnist for the Baptist Courier for years and years and a leader in our state. He he passed away when I was 24 years old, and uh, that's been 24 years ago. And all of the sermons that I have to go back and listen to are on cassette tape. So I keep a cassette player so that I can listen to some of those sermons. One of my favorite sermons, I remember him making this point, that he said that he was terrified that there were a large number of people in the church that one day they answered the call of God to salvation, they walked down the aisle of a church, they took the pastor by the hand, and that was the apex of their spiritual life. That was as close to God as they would ever be. It it would all be a fading relationship from that point forward instead of a growing relationship with God from that point forward. And I remember it rested my heart and I said, Lord, I don't want that to be me. And then as a pastor it rested my heart and said, Lord, I don't want that to be any of my people. And so sometimes when people share their story and it's like, well, this is what God did for me 30 years ago, I want to ask, what's he done for you lately? What's he done for you in the last four days, five days, ten days? David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Not he was, not he will be. He hasn't saved us and sanctified us and set us on a shelf to wait for glory one day. He wants to be moving and working and breathing in your life today. So the Lord is my shepherd. Then we come to that first word, really in two words in the English language, one word in the original language. And I want us to step aside there for a minute. The Lord. The Lord. The focus shifts here. Do you see that? The focus shifts from the sheep is my shepherd. That's the sheep's point of view. And now we turn our focus from the sheep to The shepherd. And David says, the shepherd is the Lord. He is the Lord. And if if you're looking in your, in your Bible or on an app today, you'll notice that the word Lord there is in all capital letters. Should be. If it's not, let me know what translation you've got. We'll talk about it. Should be in all capital letters. It's what it is in the ESV. So sometimes we forget what that means when we read it. And we think, oh, they're just showing reverence and respect for who God is and that's not the reason why. There are different names for God used throughout the Bible. Elohim means God the creator. El Shaddai means God almighty, all-powerful. El Elyon, the most high God. Adonai means master. But the most common name for God throughout scripture is a personal covenant name and it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. In English, we like to use the name Jehovah. In Hebrew, the language of the Jews, they only wrote down the consonants and the vowels were expressed by little dots either above or beside the consonants. However, for the Jews, this name was so precious to them that they refused to speak it out loud lest they take the name of the Lord in vain. They they wouldn't even say it out loud. So when they read the Old Testament and they came to the word Yahweh, the name of God, they would speak the word Adonai, Lord or Master. And so they used the vowels of the word Adonai to the letters of the word Yahweh, and we end up with this English word Jehovah. And so whenever we see Lord or Jehovah in Scripture, it is the name Yahweh. That's where it comes from. What does it mean? Well, this is a special name. The first time that we run across it, Moses is in the desert and God appears to him in a burning bush and he gives him these instructions to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go and and prepare the children of Israel for freedom. And Moses says, who do I say sent me? And God speaks back in this thundering voice as I imagine it, Yahweh. And this is what it means, I am. You tell them that the great I am has sent you. And there are a couple of immediate things that we understand from that. The first is this, that God is an infinite God. So what that means, I am the God who is, who was, and who always will be. That's what it literally means. God says, I am, I always have been, no one created me. I am the creator No one spoke me into existence. I spoke everything else into existence that exists. No one is greater than me. I am the greatest that there ever has been and there ever will be. I am the eternal God without beginning, without end. The second thought about that phrase is that it expresses something called an elliptical clause. This is is how that looks. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to that name of God as, I am that I am. I am that I am. I want to give you a practical word of application for that elliptical clause today. He is what you need. He is what you need. You need a friend, he is a friend. You need a savior, he is a savior. You need a counselor, he is a counselor. You need a healer, he is a healer. You need a helper, he is a helper. Everything that you could ever possibly need in your life, he is. So this God who is eternal, who is infinite, who is everything that we could ever possibly begin to imagine that we would need in our lives, this God is in a relationship with us. It's what the psalmist is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't need us, he wants us. I should have think about that this morning. He doesn't need us, he wants us. We're created for his pleasure. It pleased God to make man in his image, the book of Genesis says. And now he has committed himself to be in a relationship with us. So this God who makes a covenant with us is in an ongoing relationship with us, who knows us uniquely. He also cares for us with the utmost care, and he identifies with us. And it gripped David's heart so much that he had to write about it in song. But I want you to see this. This psalm's not about the shepherd. It's not. This psalm's not about the sheep. Mentions both of those, but it's not about either one. This psalm is about a relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. So there are a couple of things I want you to see as we begin to wrap this thing up this morning. The the first is this. this. This psalm is about a partnership. It's about a partnership There are two non-negotiable facts contained in verse 1 of Psalm chapter 23. He is the shepherd and I am a sheep. There's no way around it. That's just eternal truth right there. He is the shepherd and I am a sheep. It's not a compliment, guys, to be called a sheep. We've learned that over the last couple of years as that word's reemerged some in society. And it's never meant as a compliment when it's used today, right? Oh, you know, you're a sheep. Well, it wasn't really a compliment then either. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own. God identifies us as sheep. It's not the world identifies us that way. It's God. and It says something about the nature of our character, but the question today that this psalm begs of us is this. Are you his sheep? You don't have a choice whether or not you're a sheep Are you his sheep. In the Middle East, there are many shepherds in, uh, in, in, in many places and not many fences. During David's day, there would have been no fences. And so a shepherd would lead his sheep out to pasture and they would follow their shepherd and they would know his voice and that's how they would follow him. And they would come into a town where there was a pool of water, of still water for the sheep to drink, and a lot of times the shepherd would recline, the sheep would relax in safety. There may be a dozen shepherds with a dozen flocks of sheep at the same watering hole at the same time, and when the shepherd would stand up to leave, maybe late in the day or ne- maybe the next morning, he would stand up and he would have a distinctive call. One might get up and say, Yip! And his sheep would get up and follow him. And another one might get up and say, hey. And his sheep would get up and follow him. Told him in the first service, my my father-in-law was a farmer in South Georgia. I learned that his cows were the same way. They answered the horn of a Chevrolet pickup truck. Not a Ford, not a Dodge, not any kind of car. The horn on a Chevrolet pickup truck. And he had a distinctive pattern, beep, 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 just like that, and the cows would come. I know that because I learned that not long after I married his daughter, and we were down one day, and I was showing the grandkids that beep, beep, you know, showing them the cows, and he told me off about it because he said, do you have anything to feed them? And I said, I don't. He said, don't blow the horn then, because if you blow the horn and you don't have any feed, next time I blow the horn and have feed, they will not come. So you're teaching them something bad. They know, his cows knew, when he blew the horn, it was supper time, right? And they were going to come and they were going to be fed. They knew his horn. It also didn't work if I ever went down in my Ford truck and he sent me to feed them. They wouldn't come when I blew the horn because it wasn't their shepherd's horn. So the sheep know the shepherd and they follow him. He's the shepherd, we're sheep. Here's the third principle of this psalm. If you're not following him, you're not his sheep. I asked you just a moment ago, right? Are you his sheep? Do you know that you're his sheep? Well, how can I know that, Pastor Bryant? Well, you're following him. You're following him. If you're not following him, you're not his sheep. Guys, we're living in a day and time in the church in America where there are a whole lot of people that go to church every Sunday, and, and but they want to live their own lives, their own way, do their own thing. And the whole time they want to call themselves by the shepherd's name. And it just doesn't work that way. Jesus said, if you're not following, you aren't his sheep. He says, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. So again, I ask you today, is the Lord your shepherd? Are you his sheep? John chapter 1 tells us, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Have you made the decision to receive the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ? Everything that's necessary for you to become a new creation and to have your sins forgiven and for you to be restored to a right relationship with the shepherd has already been paid for on Calvary's cross. Jesus has done everything. But you've got to follow him. You've got to trust him to be the shepherd of your life. And then we close here. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Boy, we like that. We like that. I mean, if you're his sheep, you think, boy, this is it. This was what I was waiting for. The the I shall not want part. It may not mean exactly what you think it means. Sometimes we're tempted to think, well, boy, if the Lord's my shepherd, if all that's true, then I can ask for anything I want. You know, we have the Santa Claus kind of idea. I can ask anything I want, and he'll give it to me. That's not what it's saying. Boy, if, if, if I'm obedient, I'm going to be rewarded. No, that's not what it's saying at all. I think the best story that I've heard, better than any commentary, better than any other reference work, of any great theologian, the best story I ever heard that helped me understand this passage just in a very pure way was the story of a little girl in Sunday school. And they studied the 23rd Psalm and they got to the end of the lesson. The teacher said, can any of you remember a verse from that Psalm and repeat it to me? And one little girl in her class first raised her hand and she said, what verse do you remember? And she said, verse one. And the teacher said, what, what does verse 1 say? And the little girl said this. She said, the Lord is my shepherd. What else could I want? That's the heart of this psalm, guys. The Lord is my shepherd. What else could I possibly want? If he's everything that David's described in the first five words, what Else could we possibly need? I love that little song, He's All I Need, He's All I Need. Jesus is All I Need. You know what's even better than than the familiarity of that? It's true. It's true. Everything that you need in life, He He identifies with us. He wants to be in a personal relationship with us. He's ever-present, a constant source in our lives, leading us to life. He is everlasting, infinite creator God who can meet all of our needs. He is whatever we need, whenever we need it. And if you know Him... You shall not want remember an assignment I gave you at the beginning of the service this is the way that I wrote it the Lord is not my shepherd I'm constantly wanting I'm constantly wanting and that just reminds me so much of the world we live in today where so many people are looking for purpose and identity that's a buzzword this month right They're looking for identity and meaning in all of the wrong places. Every desire of our heart can be met in Him. Do you know Him as your shepherd? I would also ask Christian, if you know Him as your shepherd, are you finding all of your meaning and your purpose in Him? Or are you looking for it in other places? you look for it in your job. You're looking for it in the approval of other people. You're looking for it in your family. It can't be found in any of those places. It can only be found in an intimate relationship with the shepherd. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing one of, one of my favorite songs, man. It's, a, it's an older song, but I love that. Just the message and the truth of knowing that if you've come to know him as the shepherd of your life, He says this, that you are in his hand and that his hand is in the Father's hand and the shepherd will never let go of his sheep. What an incredible promise. But as we sing that song, if you don't know him as your shepherd, if you've never experienced that, Jeremy's going to be here at the front. You just come and talk to him and say, Hey man, I need to know that I know that I know that he's the shepherd of my life. Maybe you're here and you want to unite with this church in membership. He's here and available to talk to you about that. Maybe maybe you're here and there's some other need in your life. You just need to pray with somebody. He's, He's here for that. The important thing is that you're obedient as God calls to your heart today. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for the power of your word, the truth of it. Lord, we just pray that We would, every person here would know that you are the shepherd of their lives. Lord, give us the courage to be obedient, to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.